0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of your favorite real estate podcast, the Canadian Real Estate Investor. My name is Nick Hill and today we are going to be talking about commercial real estate and the performance indicators for commercial real estate such as cap rates, vacancy rates and rental rates. And we're going to be looking at a bunch of different Canadian cities coast to coast to give you a full national understanding of what is happening in the commercial markets and how these indicators stack up to you and what they should mean to you, the Canadian real estate investor. But... I don't do this show alone because that would be way less fun. I feel like too you probably work. could. Who is that? Oh, right. That's that's my co host. A little knowing guy named Daniel Foch. Dan, the new economic director of research or director of economic yeah, research. You so got I messed it, that it, up already. Something, something yeah. fancy. <laughs> something I don't do. Anyways, Dan, introduce yourself and then let's get into the show here. Yeah, my name is Daniel Foch,
0: real estate broker and investor, director of economic research at Rare Real Estate, shit talker of economics and and housing market information (laughs) on Twitter especially, but also relatively active on – I try and be active on all platforms. I like to interact with the great people of the Canadian real estate industry and market. So Today, we're going to be going through a couple of different reports. We'll link them in the show notes. One from CBRE, their Canada Cap Rates and Investment Insights report from Q3, National Market Snapshot from Collier's, a couple of other ones that Nick's thrown in here. Yeah. Today, we want to just be like really boiling down what the commercial... I like to look at commercial investments because it's kind of like, these are what pension funds are buying. Let's see the rates of return that they're getting, the valuations that they're getting. And if I can buy small cap assets that you know work for me at similar or better returns, then I got to be doing something relatively right. So it's point of comparison because I'm not out there buying billion-dollar shopping malls just yet,
1: but maybe someday not yet but hey who knows and and that's something important for for everyone to understand listening you know we know a lot of our audience primarily looks to the small multifamily as you know the quote unquote real estate investment and and possibly maybe the only one that is on your radar we're not asking you to eventually buy an office building or an industrial complex or whatever but it is a great thing to understand as Dan said these are what institutional level investors are buying these are what REITs are buying so you know, if we can follow those same principles and actually be getting better returns on smaller investments, that's a win-win. So this is all just for you to take in. Yeah.
0: I think that there's this sweet spot in the market forming that is like as Canadian real estate starts to institutionalize where there's deals that are too big for the small guys and too small for the big guys. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about this and it's underserved on the capital market side. Like there's not enough debt or equity funding in those, but there's also – it's underserved on the service side, like too small for a lot of these big, huge huge firms that are are writing these reports to even serve these deals. And when we go through the retail environment, you'll see a lot of this. It's harder to specialize in tiny assets like this because you can't sell them at scale. So, Coxwell, the listing that I have that I've mentioned on here a couple of times being a good example. And when we go through retail, we're kind of going to go all the way from like your big shopping mall all the way down to your street front retail and there's a type of property called high street properties that are basically sort of your ground floor retail with a couple of residential or office units above and And my listing is very similar to that. Have that one listed for sale, could potentially get it with like a up to 80% vendor take back mortgage which we just – What's a vendor take back? If only this amazing podcast just recently did an episode <laughs> about it. I think it was the most, the most recent episode so check that out if you're looking to learn about what a vendor take back – mortgage is. And yeah, like I mean, I would do that deal. The listing that I have, I try and only bring properties to market or listings to market that I believe in and and so if, you know, if anybody's interested, we'd be looking for investors to jump in on a deal with deal like that
1: with us potentially. For sure. Now, before we get into the show, there's something I just I could not not bring up because I just it's too funny and, and I really hope it goes goes down. Dan, you are in the midst of making a purchase this morning, not a regular online shopping purchase, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you're trying to procure. Yeah, I'm still negotiating. For the show. I'm still in
0: negotiations, but I'm trying to buy a moose statue. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is, I don't even like, well, anyway, I guess we'll start the plot line here and we'll see how it Yeah, goes. So I, yeah. I just feel like Bay Street needs a bull as well.
1: Yeah. So anyone, if you've been to New York and you've been to Wall Street, it's hard to miss the the massive metal bull with its large balls hanging out the back, I guess. And it's a famous, famous bull. I mean, people go there, right, representing the bull market, the market that obviously Wall Street wants. But we don't really have a statue like that up here. And Dan's taken it upon himself to make sure that Canadians get their bull, which is, comes in the form of a very large moose. So. Just working at the logistics on that for, for the time. It was
0: actually like an art installation too. It was like a rogue art installation if you look at the history of uh, the bull and they just left it there. So maybe maybe they'll leave my moose there when I drop it on the front door of Commerce Court. Okay, where are we here? We are, I think you want to reference a couple of episodes because we're going to be talking a lot about cap rates here, right? So if people are just diving in and they need to learn about cap rates, where should they go?
1: Yeah, so you know, if this is your first time listening, to your first episode or even you want a refresher on the stuff that we're going to be talking about, Go check out these episodes, cap rates versus cash flow. That's episode 43. We also discuss cap rates a lot in the top five return metrics to analyze a deal. That's episode 19. And then just a bunch of terms that will probably come up in this episode, every real estate and investing term you should know, episode 12. So go check out episode 12, 19, and 43 for a bit of a refresher. Or just listen to the whole thing end to end over the Christmas holidays. Yeah. That's a good one too.
0: Okay, let's start off with some good news here. Toronto area commercial real estate deals totaled seven billion in Q2, up forty-three percent quarter, I guess year over year, sorry, for the quarter from a year ago. This report by Avison Young says sales of office industrial retail, multi-residential, and industrial commercial and investment or ICI land across the region totaled seven billion for the three-month period, up from just four point nine billion a year earlier. The result brought
1: total investment to fourteen billion for the first half of twenty twenty-two. The report goes on to say that the industrial sector saw the highest investment dollar volume during the quarter with $2.6 billion compared to $1.4 billion in the same quarter of last year. Multi-residential deals totaled $1 billion up from $815 million in the same quarter of last year. And retail properties amounted to six hundred ninety-six million, down from seven hundred and twenty-five million. So we see multi-res go up and retail go down a little bit as well. Industrial has almost doubled since since last year.
0: Yeah, I think it really shows you know the confidence. Like there was a lack of confidence in commercial real estate during the pandemic because there was a lot of uncertainty around what the future of the workforce was going to look like, whether or not retailers were going to continue being locked down on an annual basis indefinitely, and so you know, there wasn't a lot of capital flowing into that uncertainty. That kind of went away, I think, over this year as we started to get to that, you know, quote, unquote, no, new normal that, that everybody's been talking about. Ah, uh, yes, and the I, new oh, normal. I haven't heard anybody say that in so
1: long. So, That's, it was just felt yeah. weird coming yeah. out of my mouth. How dare you say that? Yeah,
0: <laughs> but – Let's start with office here. So, the office sector saw largest expansion of cap rates among the real estate asset classes in Q3 with class AA, A and B cap rates rose by like 35 and 33 basis points respectively. According to CBRE's most recent report, yield increases for suburban office product came in slightly lower. So, the yield increase means prices are going down or rents are going up, right? With national average cap rates rising by just 25 basis points for class A and B in suburban. Every market reported increased office cap rates in Q3 except Kitchener Waterloo which held flat. So basically this means that price expectations are going down cuz cap rates evaluation valuation metrics so the value the yield the rate of return that you can get from that from purchasing that property is going up so the price is going down relative to the rents.
1: Thanks for that explanation Dan. The national average cap rate series for downtown class AA and class A Products rose to 6.13%, a level last seen in late 2011. So a couple of years back, the spread between class AA and A and class B assets narrowed for the third consecutive quarter, compressing to 15 bips during the, this period to 103 bips at its lowest point in nearly 6 years.
0: Years And similarly, the national average cap rates for Suburban A and B were trending above those 10-year trailing averages, reaching 7.26% in Q3. AA downtown office of 5.54%, which was up quarter over quarter. Class A downtown office, 6.36%, which is up. Class B downtown office, which is seven point one six percent, which is up for the quarter. You're seeing all of these cap rates going up, which means rate of, rates of return are getting better. Investments are becoming more compelling. Prices could be coming down in those asset classes.
1: Yeah, so I mean the downtown, the AA and the A, and even the B is is really interesting because you know we've seen reopening. To a certain extent, but do downtowns feel more open? I mean, we'd love to hear from from the audience on this. And, and Dan, I know you've you've pulled some good data for this too on what actual occupancy means because there's a bit of a differentiator there. Yeah, so
0: you're starting to see this distinguishing between physical occupancy, so you know employees being in the office, and then rental occupancy, which is what we're going to be talking about here. The, the opposite of vacancy, the antithesis of a vacancy, is is occupancy. And we like that. Yeah. And and so SRRA, which is a strategic research alliance, they track a bunch of mobility trends and office data in downtown Toronto. This is the only market that it's tracked, not trying to be center of the universe guys here, but 36% is what they have it at. So, I mean, if you just do the math there, 36% of five days a week is like 1.8 days per week that you would have 100% of the offices occupied. It feels like that day is probably Wednesday. (laughs) Because, like, seriously, if you try and make it downtown on a Wednesday, I'm actually going down for a lunch, so I'm, like, dreading driving down there.
1: As we sit here talking about how horrible it is, you're going to get up and leave afterwards and and make that trek. But it
0: it seems like everybody's almost, like, taking – if we are getting to that hybrid work, it seems like everybody's taking a long weekend. Like, city traffic is dead on both Monday and Friday, I find, like –
1: Well, before you say that, I just saw another study released that now says, and again, this is Toronto centric. I know Vancouver traffic is bad too, but Toronto just became first place, not for a good thing, for the worst traffic in North America. That's worse than New York, Chicago, LA. It's crazy. So that puts Canada's permitting process as one of the worst in the world. Ontario's landlord tenant board as one of the longest waits for that in in the country and in North America, and now we get to say that we have the worst traffic in the world too. So, I mean, look, we're we're winning at losing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know what? Like, it's one of these things. There's like, are we a world
0: class city? And I make this joke like we're almost at the Toronto's almost at its helicopter phase of being a world class city, right? Where, Ooh. yeah, because everybody's like, you know, even rich people can't get places quickly in Toronto. And then but we we're actually looking it up because we we're gonna do like a helipad index. And Toronto literally only has one helipad. So anyway, that, that index helipad is very Or you well, I I could do a helicopter index, right? But I mean, you know, in New York, like. People are were flying in from Jersey or whatever it is, or like going to meetings on – they have, literally have Blade, which is a a charter helicopter service. Like it's ta- air taxi, right? So, And I know people like everybody that I know who goes to New York, people who aren't even flying private, right? Because they'd be flying out of like LaGuardia or whatever, take Blades. It's like marginally more expensive to take a Blade to LaGuardia than it is to take a cab. Wow. So like Ubercopter. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, well, they actually do have Uber too, I think. like. Uber air. Anyway, (laughs) I would say we're digressing, but since we're up in the air, it's not really digressing. Ah, Love it. So if you don't want to be stuck in traffic, they have offices in the suburbs too. So suburban office class A is up for the quarter at 6.83% cap rate and class B up for the quarter as well. These are national figures, 7.69% cap rate.
1: Yeah, and Collier states that the office vacancy decreased in half of their tracked markets. This suggests optimism in the office sector as summer can sometimes see subdued activity. Yeah, I think
0: that, you know, when you talk about that physical vacancy or physical occupancy, it's always tough to get a read on it during the summer because we don't really have an idea. And I think more and more so, you're seeing decentralization of the workplace during the summer. The next note is interesting regarding the suburbanization of the office on that note. So, while suburban office was once considered a secondary option, suburban vacancy rates have almost universally lower than downtown. Lower rents, free parking, and shorter commutes
1: all contribute to the appeal of the suburbs. Yeah, it sounds like that may be one of the lasting changes that happen as a result of the work from home or the suburbanization of demand that we saw as a result of COVID-19. The part I find most interesting about that is there are suburban
0: office investments that are almost more accessible than downtown office investments for small cap investors. And I think I would say most of our audience is representative of that small cap investor category. We're not out here buying, you know, Scotia Plaza, billion dollar office towers or anything yet. So uh, I wish But you know, for example, you could buy a commercial condominium or an industrial condominium in a place like Richmond or Surrey rather than Vancouver, or Leduc, Spruce Grove rather than Edmonton, your Airdrie's Canada, Newmarket, Brampton, Laval. I mean, if you're from one of these major cities, you're gonna know the suburban area that I'm talking about. And if you're bullish on or you're trying to get exposed to office in, you know, one of those major cities, too expensive or just too big of assets. You can get more cut-up pieces, or you can often find more suburbanized pieces in suburban markets, right? So Yeah,
1: good call. And I mean, that's kind of what this episode might suggest, is that it could be economically a wiser decision to do that because cap rates are usually better, but the vacancy is definitely worse in those suburban markets. So Uh, Sorry, on office. So, you know, it's kind of the higher reward, higher risk.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Colliers goes on to say that close to 70% of all new office construction is still downtown at a national level. So, but I mean, you can't really... Just be like, oh, guys, pack it up. We're just going to leave this office tower half constructed, (laughs) right? So, even with the slowdown to the return to office or RTO in the central business districts, they do really distinguish that it's more of a regional thing and considerable variation exists. Toronto has like 94% of construction downtown, and Toronto is the biggest market in Canada. So, it can tend to skew national data quite a bit. Vancouver has a more even split, and Calgary has, and smaller markets actually have more suburban development of office dominating. So,
1: Yeah, good stuff. Now let's go through the office metrics quickly from the Collier's report and let's do it from maybe from west to east, Dan. So start us off here. Yeah, so Victoria is
0: 5.9% vacancy in the office market. 4.1% of that is subletted space with a net asking rent of $24 per square foot. Vancouver, identical 5.9% vacancy market, 20% sublet space and a net asking rent of $34
1: per square foot. Yeah. Interesting when when comparison, when looking at those identical vacancy rates and how the price per square foot rents can really drive valuation or, or cap rates, right? Because the Vancouver office caps are now sitting between 3.75 and 4.5%. Yeah. And those are insanely low vacancies as well,
0: especially coming off the conversation of work from home and whether or not central business district will actually become permanently impacted by the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Don't worry. Cause if you're looking for vacancy, the next two on the list will certainly have you covered yeah,
0: for sure. So Edmonton 19% vacancy in the office market. 10% of that is sublet with a net asking rent of 17 bucks per square foot Calgary, 27% vacancy, 19% of that is sublet space with a net asking rent of $14 per square foot.
1: Yeah, so just a quick touch on the sublet piece. I mean, that is essentially, so Calgary's got 27% vacancy, but 19% of that is sublet. That essentially means that whoever originally rented that space now either has no use for it, can't fill it, or took too much and is now subletting. So they are going and acting as the landlord and leasing that portion of whatever they can't fill out. So for context, Edmonton's office cap rates are between 6.5 and 875 are pretty good for Class A and up to 11.25% for Class B office space. That is nice. So there is a great return there, but the vacancy is the obvious risk. Remember the high risk, high reward. Yeah, definitely.
0: Calgary cap rates are sort of in the 6 to 8% for Class A and Class B goes all the way up to about 10%.
1: Okay. So let's move on over to Saskatchewan where value add agriculture and potash continues to attract investment capital across the province. And this is all according to the CBRE report. So we see Saskatoon posting a 15% vacancy, 2% sublet, which is pretty wild. Well, a net asking rent of $22 per square foot. Regina, 18% vacancy, 3% sublet with a net asking rent of only $14 per square foot. Why is Saskatchewan so much lower than everywhere
0: else in the sublet space?
1: Honestly, no idea. And it's a great question. Probably an indication that the market is commanded by a few landlords or, or tenants, right? A few major players. Honestly, if anyone in the audience knows or your local boots on the ground there, please send us an email. We'd love to be able to, you know, figure this one out. And it's this kind of stuff that we'll be able to eventually post on our forum and have open discussions about it with with industry experts and, and investors from across the country. For sure. Anyways, let's move on to two places that start with Ws. Winnipeg and Waterloo. Winnipeg, we see a 12.6% vacancy with a net asking rent of $16 and Waterloo, 13.3% vacancy with a net asking rent of, again, $16. Yeah, and I'll jump over to Toronto
0: here where challenged assets, according to this report, as well as those in the suburbs, are seeing reduced levels of investor interest at the moment definitely a sign of the reurbanization of demand this tends to happen as a flight to quality during recessionary periods
1: so The flight to quality kind of refers to the herd-like behavior of investors that shift out of risky assets during financial downturns or bear markets. And this often occurs with a shift out of stocks and into bonds, which are much less risky, where bonds are seen as relatively more safe and thus higher quality during these rough economic patches that, you know, we are in right now. Yeah. You can see it in even geopolitically, right? When
0: you hear about like instability in some countries, people wanting to move capital into Canadian real estate because it's considered quality or safe. In spite of the, you know, the challenges happening in the shifts in the reurbanization of demand, apparently leasing has been relatively solid for Canada, which actually surprised me. I just assumed our offices were far less open than the U.S., but apparently, major Canadian office markets continue to outperform their U.S. peers. I think Toronto is fourth tightest in downtown market in North America, and Ottawa, I believe, is six. So
1: that's cool. Okay, so, and then tight just means low vacancy. Yeah, it is a, here. It is a tight market. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. From it's tight pants. Don't do it. Would you say that this market is
0: uh, is tight like a toiga? I wouldn't. <laughs> <No. laughs> well, I had to, man. For uh, Austin Powers, Canadian, right? Mike Myers, there Canadian. we go. Yeah. Shout out Mike Myers. Yeah. Um, ten point one percent vacancy in Toronto with a net asking rent of twenty six bucks.
1: So that's actually closer to Victoria pricing than it is to Vancouver. It just shows you know how far above everywhere else in Vancouver office space is from a pricing perspective. And moving over to Ottawa, per CBRE remains one of the
0: more active office markets in the country. We know a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of I mean, governments aren't getting any smaller in Canada. <laughs> There's also a lot of stuff happening in the tech space. Several larger office deals happening and in the works and are slated to close in the fourth quarter of this year. So we'll update if any of those notable transactions, if and when those happen. 10% vacancy, so slightly lower than Toronto, but asking rent is significantly lower at 17 bucks per square foot. And we'll quickly just cover Montreal and Halifax here. So Montreal, 15% vacancy within net asking rent, just a little bit higher than Ottawa at $19 per square foot. Halifax 14% vacancy with a net asking rent of $16 per square foot. Let's jump over to industrial. The industrial sector continued to see modest cap rate increases. so We are seeing still a little bit of contraction in in the prices there with the national average A and B going up about 25 basis points to 5.23% nationally on the industrial cap rates. Despite yields expanding for a second consecutive quarter, industrial cap rates still remain 33 bips below their pre-pandemic levels. So, the rates of return are still less compelling than what we were seeing pre-pandemic, probably fueled by you know cheap credit. Right. Most markets reported increases in industrial cap rates in Q3, with the exception of Winnipeg and Halifax, which held yields flat. So nobody went down. So prices are you know basically going down in most of these markets. And this is a credit contraction thing you're seeing it in the commercial space as well. Cap rate expansion was uniform between both A and B, pushing national average yields up to 48 and 5.67% respectively. The largest increases were recorded in Calgary, London, Windsor, and Montreal, which all saw their A and B yields rise by about 50 basis points. So class A is now at 4.8%, as we mentioned, and B at 5.67%, both of which are up for the quarter.
1: Fascinating stuff. Now, let's go through this coast to the coast because some of these vacancies are going to blow your mind, Dan. I'm going to start here with BC, my, my hometown, my home province, I should say. And this is probably as good of a time as any to announce that we will be in BC in April. So, we have a very special live in-person interview set up with A BC native who has changed the clothing game for both men and women. And that's where we'll leave it. Heavily exposed to industrial real estate. Yeah, we're not just just interviewing a guy that that has revolutionized pants. He also likes real estate. (laughs) Use your imaginations there. But we will be out in, in Vancouver, Victoria, and a few other places in BC in early April. So make sure you see us there. Anyways, let's get back to it. Victoria. 0.1 Zero point one vacancy, zero so literally, that's literally a round. Doesn't a get much better air. than that. Yeah, yeah, and that's at eighteen dollars per square foot rentable, uh, Vancouver. Worse than Victoria, but still pretty damn good at zero point two percent vacancy. But still a hundred percent worse. Double the vacancy. Hundred percent worse, but almost at a hundred percent. So do that man. and that's at twenty percent rentable square foot.
0: Okay, moving over to Alberta, where things are are definitely less toy, but still still very toy. <laughs> Not uh, like a toyger, but Edmonton four point two percent vacancy. Ten dollars per square foot. So you can you can really see the you know the how that tightness contributes to an increased per square foot rental rate. Thank you for pronouncing tightness properly. Yeah, there. yeah I'm done with it. I can't even do I don't <laughs> I'm so bad at accents, right? So
1: Calgary two point two percent vacancy, twelve dollars per square foot. So let's move over to the next province on our journey east here. Speculative industrial Development is beginning to rise in the market as several new developers enter Saskatchewan amidst record low availability. Investment demand for quality industrial product continues to supply the stability of cap rates across the province. That is good news for Saskatchewan because we look at Saskatoon, which only has a 2.2% vacancy. I mean, that is impressive. And Regina, even better, a 1.7% vacancy rate. Both of those markets rent at $11 per square foot.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're thinking about getting into the commercial asset classes, perhaps industrial. I mean, industrial is very much, you know, occupied by commercial tenants now, e com warehousing space, whatever it is. So, if you're looking in, in some of these markets, maybe a, a commercial condo or an industrial condo might not be a bad idea if you really want to benefit from, you know, low leasing risk at 1.7% vacancy in Regina. Manitoba, the industrial market remains very hot with excess demand for basically any vacant space or land to build more space. So you're starting <laughs> to see this vacancy spill over into new development, which is good. A whole bunch of new industrial developments have started in 2022, and more development will be required even to relieve this demand that there is in the, in the tenant side. A lot of local activity on the investment. I think you're seeing less capital moving into a lot of these smaller cities. And so it kind of is giving those local capital markets, local investment markets, room to breathe and allowing them to kind of transact, get back to controlling their own real estate markets, especially in commercial space. Winnipeg is at a 1.5% vacancy on industrial and a $10 per square foot rentable.
1: Impressive. Moving on to on terrible as most of those who don't live in this province refer to it as Ontario. We like it here. It's not bad, guys. CBRE states the investor interest in the industrial sector remains high. The sector continues to both a healthy rental growth outlook combined with a conservative development pipeline. We see Waterloo at 0.2 at $12 per square foot, Toronto at 0.3 at $17 per square foot, and Ottawa by far the worst at a whopping 0.8. Whoa, that's horrible. I'm kidding. It's, that's fantastic, guys. And that's uh, at $15 per square foot. Interesting to note here, for the first time in years, the Ottawa market is actually expecting to see speculative industrial development given the strong demand for relatively low ex- existing supply.
0: Yeah, definitely a nice note. Just crossing the border now into Quebec, Montreal at 0.6% vacancy and $15 per square foot. The industrial leasing activity in Montreal remains very robust, undeterred by the current uncertain economic climate and backed by strong fundamentals. Properties with short-term leases are in high demand and offer more liquidity over products with long-term leases in place. That's from CBRE's report.
1: Yeah, we've got a similar story here in Quebec City as well. It says here, the industrial sector remains an attractive investment market. However, Activity has slowed due to limited supply. That's a similar story we're seeing across the country. Activity in in the office sector has also slowed as a result of the uncertainty around, you know, the hybrid work and all that stuff we've been going over, leading to tenants opting out for, or sorry, opting for shorter lease terms in this current environment, so flexibility obviously is becoming a bit of a theme in big in those time. spaces.
0: Yeah, jumping to Nova Scotia here, Halifax specifically, two point one percent vacancy and an eleven dollar per square foot rate, according to the CBRE report. They actually just saw the biggest sale of the year in Halifax with Crestpoint and ProREIT acquiring twenty one industrial buildings in Burnside from KingSet Capital for two hundred twenty eight million dollars. So there is huge capital markets wow. activity happening in the East Coast. Crest Point also purchased 50% interest in ProREIT's existing 21 buildings in Burnside for 113.5 million. And now they're the largest landlords in Halifax's industrial
1: market. Lucky, lucky for them. That's nice. Okay, so that's it for industrial. Let's move on to retail because there's interesting, there's, there's a lot of subclasses in retail and we're going to cover all of them and define them for you. The national average cap rate rose across the retail spectrum in Q3 of 2022. However, increases were slightly uneven across various retail formats. Yield expansions ranged from anywhere from 14 to 21 bips during the quarter and averaged an increase of 17 bips across all formats. So, 10 of the 13 tracked Canadian markets reported in this report in the retail cap rates in 2022 with Kitchener, Waterloo, Ottawa, and Montreal markets holding retail yields steady. The largest quarterly increases in cap rates were recorded in the regional and neighborhood retail formats. Again, we will define those which both saw the national average series rise 21 bips to 5.8 and 6.55 respectively in Q3 2022. Meanwhile, the movement in the urban street front category was more muted, kind of rising only 14 bips to 5.72. Now within the retail class, there are several different subclasses like you
0: mentioned. And so why don't we just jump in and define these for you? So regional malls, which are at a nationally a 5.8% cap rate, which is up for the quarter. Regional malls can come in many shapes and sizes. This is a shopping mall, an enclosed shopping mall typically, and are known typically to have two or more large department stores as anchor tenants, you know, Hudson's Bay as an example. And they typically have many national branded tenants. Many regional malls are surrounded by pad sites that will be occupied by restaurants, fast food, banks, and other well-known tenants. I would say like price-wise, you want to be thinking probably like a hundred mil plus. Like these are big buildings. Oxford would be one of the biggest owners of this type of stuff. They own you know, your Yorkdale, Upper Canada Mall, Square One. I was actually at CB when that transaction took place. I think it was like one of the first billion dollar transactions. Oh, that cool. and Scotia Plaza, actually, same year. Nice. But yeah, so that's a good example. Oxford is OMERS, so pension fund money is is kind of who's owning this stuff. Why don't we head on over to Power Centers, Nick? Mr. Power Mr. Centers. Powerful Nick,
1: since you're so, yeah. the powerful guy, yeah. So when you think of power centers, you're probably not thinking of them, but what the type of properties include, like you'd see like a Target, a PetSmart or a golf town, for instance. These centers usually have a larger quantity of national brand tenants than smaller tenants. So in fact, sometimes they consist only of large national brand tenants. These supersized strip malls are usually surrounded by pad sites that are occupied by restaurants, fast food banks just kind of your your smaller retail, right? So you're going to go and spend an hour or two in Golf Town looking for that new driver and then you're going to go get, you know, you're going to go to the bank that's in the same plaza to, to take out the money to do that. You're usually looking at, you know, upwards of 100 million plus to to get into this market.
0: Yeah. And I think like it's uh, mentioned supersized strip mall. It's like a powerful strip mall. I think it's like, a, you know, Ooh. but it was a big branding thing. I feel like people who just didn't want to say that they owned a bunch of strip malls. Now it's cool to be like strip mall trend, strip, strip mall guy investor. on Twitter, right? <laughs> big box retailers is next. This is the type of retail property occupied by one very large store. Uh, you know, your freestanding Home Depots as an example. Some common big box retailers are Walmart and Costco. Interestingly, actually, because I know like I have a client who is in this space developing a property and potential to you know based on the approvals for the floor plate that they had was Walmart who would end up being a leasing tenant and Costco who actually prefers to own their real estate so Costco is a big real estate owner if you're ever analyzing their stock you know or you hear the guys on the Canadian investor do it a lot Costco so they would be selling that asset to Costco leasing it to Walmart interestingly but the floor plates kind of similar um, these are a large buildings always occupied by just one retailer It would vary on a per square foot basis, but these are kind of like your $50 to $100 million valuation.
1: Next one on the list is freestanding retail sites. And these sites are similar to the big box retailers that Dan just described, only smaller and commonly known as large box retailers. So not big box, large box. Tenants in freestanding buildings could be anything from – a big restaurant chain, a furniture store, even recreational stuff like a bowling alley, or you'll have your electronic stores like a Best Buy or something like that would be a good example.
0: For sure. Uh, Jumping over to strip malls now, 5.95% national cap rate for an anchored strip mall, 6.66% for unanchored typically anchored by a grocery store as strip malls bring in a lot of foot traffic other tenants in the strip mall may include mom and pop stores boutiques and other small stores that have a good synergy with kind of those those anchor tenants some strip centers do not have an anchor tenant these strips are most likely occupied with professional services like insurance agencies clinics you know restaurants real estate agencies are a pretty common one Ooh. as well yeah <laughs>
1: Okay, so let's move on to the community commercial retail averaging about a 5.72 cap across the country, also known as urban street retail or mixed use properties. These types of retail commonly found on the first floor or ground floor of a multifamily property or an office building, usually kind of located in like an urban core big city. So this is where you'll have you know, a retail store on the bottom and then and then kind of mixed use up tops, whether it's another floor of office or a couple residential suites up there. Yeah, these
0: tend to be occupied exclusively by cannabis stores, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this would be your sort of high street in quotation marks property, like the Coxwell listing that we have. And again, send us a message if you're Which interested. which does not include a cannabis store. Five point seven two percent cap rate nationally. Office and industrial conversions, this is exactly what it sounds like. Something I mean, that's been converted into a retail property. So I guess the question is like which of these retail is most likely for our listeners to end up purchasing? So you know, and I think it's gonna be the smaller stuff, right? Your high street, maybe your strip mall in some of these more suburban markets. Yeah. Anyway, you want to jump over to the retail investment trends we're seeing here from CBRE, Nick?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, let's just skip over that and let's go right to one for one here across the country, what we're seeing in the in the retail space. I think this, is, this provides some pretty good insight sure. into the cap rate. So I'll start us off and, and again, we'll go west to east here, Dan. So the furthest Western point that we cover here is Victoria and we see average Cap rates from on the low end 5% all the way up to 6.25%.
0: Vancouver retail caps from 3.75 up to 5.75%.
1: Calgary 5 and a quarter to 7. Edmonton 5 to 7%. Saskatoon 6 to 7.25%. Winnipeg 6 to 7%. The London Windsor corridor from five point five all the way up to eight point five. There's a lot of suburban
0: stuff there, though, right? That's yeah, like a lot of all suburban.
1: Off. Yeah, yeah, especially down in the London area, yeah, right? Yeah. Kitchener Waterloo five to six point five percent. Toronto, we see four point two five percent all the way up to a nice seven point two five percent.
0: Interestingly, though, like a lot of that that stuff, that's the higher cap rate is probably future development sites more than anything. So, yeah, Ottawa five to seven percent cap.
1: Montreal
0: 4.5 to 7.25. And Quebec City, 6.75 to
1: 9.25%. Maybe a little over retailed there. I don't know. Whew. That is that's not bad at all. And then all the way over on the East Coast, Halifax, we see 6.75 to 8.25% average cap rates between all of those asset classes. And that was your cap rates nationally for retail. And that's kind of a a blend of, of everything that we just described in all those different asset classes. Kind of a bummer they don't include Moncton and uh, St. John's. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to we're going to be, we're going to try and
0: get these guys on here to talk about one of these reports. So,
1: so hopefully. Yeah, I guess that's on us to, to figure that stuff out. That's okay though. We will. Let's move on to our favorite and probably most people's listening favorite asset class, multifamily. So the multifamily sector cap rates rose for the second consecutive quarter in Q3 of 2022. However, yield movements were much more muted relative to other asset classes. We see this a lot with multifamily. The national average series was for all multifamily categories rose marginally by about 10 BIPs to 4.39% matching the yield seen in the sector from three years ago. So not a ton of movement on this, not like we've seen in, in office and industrial and, and even retail. It's kind of like you're watching
0: the whole market go full cycle from pre-COVID back to those valuations, right? Like there was this period of, and don't get me wrong, even if people were overpaying, it might've made sense because they were getting such cheap interest rates. You know, if they were locking those interest rates in for five or ten years, they might it might have netted out to be a better deal on a cost benefit analysis. But you are seeing valuations come all the way back. You're seeing it in the residential market right now, and clearly, it's happening. Same trend is happening in the commercial markets where valuations are kind of going back to those pre COVID levels. Most markets held firm on the multifamily cap rates, which movements recorded this quarter in Victoria. Calgary, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, and Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, cap rates in the multifamily sector remain some of the lowest among all real estate asset classes. Everybody wants to own this stuff right now. Yields held relatively firm for the national average, high rise class A, and just going up to 3.87%, so below 4%. And I, I do think like you are starting to see even Toronto deals coming in over 4% right now on the listing side. So this might be a little bit outdated or a little optimistic or higher scale because it is high rise, right? So that's like, that's really mm-hmm. capital market stuff, but slightly slightly widening the spread to the class B assets to 58 basis points.
1: Yeah, and the low-rise Class A and Class B cap rates both increased by just over 10 bips, 10 basis points in Q3 of this year, bringing the national average yields to 4.4% and 4.83% respectively. Again, that's Class A and B. We saw Class A high-rise at 3.87, Class B high-rise at 4.44, Class A low-rise at just the exact same, 4.44, and then Class B high Low-rise taking the cake at 4.83%. Maybe quickly
0: talk on, touch on seniors
1: housing here, independent
0: and assisted living. This was an asset class that was massively impacted by the global pandemic, obviously. Um, and so it's, it's taking a little bit of time for it to ramp back up. There, A lot of investors are on the sideline, probably due to interest rates, but but kind of coming back into the market, there are some quality deals. And this is a, an, an asset class that really has probably the be- the best direct exposure to an aging population. I think that, you know, it's becoming a theme this creative short-term financing, right? Fi- like we're hearing about structured deals. Financing is really what's getting deals done in the markets right now and that's what's pushing deals across the finish line.
1: Totally. And if you go back to a few other episodes of VTB on the CMHC, we talk about this stuff because the new multifamily MLI select product by CMHC's loan insurance program may offer new Class A buildings an attractive option for new construction as well as permanent financing because we see Class A at 6.33%, Class B at 7%. Point five two percent and long-term care at 7.64%. If you listen to the podcast, you know, Dan and I are super bullish on seniors, senior living, baby boomers moving into seniors. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before. We'll say it again, deserves a full episode. So we'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, for sure. I still think there's probably
0: a trade between – today and seniors moving into retirement homes, which is, you know, them being like maybe a knee replacement away from a bungalow. So what happens to the four bedroom homes when they go to the bungalows, etc. But again, whole other app is, is baby boomers.
1: Should we title that episode a knee replacement away from a bundle? <laughs> might offend some people, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's talk about hotel here quickly, Nick, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, the hotel operating performance accelerated to above pre pandemic levels in Q three of this year, driven by the elevated demand for leisure travel through the summer as Canada finally exited the pandemic and kind of went back to you know quote unquote normal life a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's you know rates are are obviously continuing to to create problems here, but there's confidence that. There, you know, we'll see exceptional performance in in the summer, and loosening of border restrictions will obviously be helpful for Canada, as well as immigration really driving tourism into Canada and growth of the the total addressable market of tourists within Canada. And so, hopefully, we'll see a return to group events as well and conferences next year. You know, majorly, I think you're seeing a ton of it already now. But but that those are really revenue
1: drivers for hotels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we better see a return to meetups and conferences because we're going to be hosting some. So we'll see you there, guys. Anyways, momentum in traditional hotel sales for the first half of 2022 continued into Q3 with seeking a higher yield in the hotel sector. However, some investors maintain a, you know, wait and see approach that we've heard so many times. They're being a little more selective and patient deploying their capital. Obviously, hotel it's a whole different business than a lot of this stuff. We do see downtown full service at 7.39%, suburban limited service at 8.77, and then focus service at 8.19%. Yeah. So you to really wrap this up with why we're covering that. And I
0: think like, you know, the best comparison for the hotel side is, are you buying, you know, your downtown condo Airbnbs at 8.77% cap rates? Because that's your direct comp, right? So that's why for me, at least that's why we cover this, is it kind of gives you a basis on where you should be valued. Remember, cap rates are a valuation, right? It's a valuation based on on the rents. And so, you know, it can be valued as a dollar figure, but it can also be valued as a percentage of what the income of that property is. And so you need to be basing your investment decisions on where else you could be putting your money or And and other asset classes are the easiest way to think about and kind of get a full scope, full spectrum of what returns are available, whether or not you're even making a good investment once you crunch those numbers.
1: Totally. And and just to add to that, I think another great takeaway from why we do this is – you know, understanding the micro economies of each one of these places, right? We're always trying to figure out where to invest. Well, getting an understanding of not just how much a duplex costs in Regina or how much a triplex is in Winnipeg, but understanding their office markets, their suburban office markets, the industrial, who's moving there, what kind of jobs there are, you know, vacancy is a great indicator of that kind of stuff. So that's why we cover this. And it really goes to show that a lot of the real estate principles remain the same. Anyways, that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it tight.
0: The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Centre, license number 10317 and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037.
1: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.